Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about the heart of a servant of the gospel. Paul and others did not want to cut off any opportunity to proclaim the gospel and give opportunity to all. And then Paul revealed his heart of love for the sinners and saints by two things. Commitment, but endure all things. Wow. They willingly endured financial hardships and sufferings with contentment. He didn't want to stumble anybody. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Good guys finish last. That's an adage of the world that seems to play out in everyday life. But according to the Apostle Paul, maybe being last isn't so bad after all. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his exposition of 1 Corinthians, he helps make sense of this simple truth that's based on our love for one another. He begins with our scripture text for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look at the entire chapter. Paul the Apostle has told the Corinthians in answer to their question about eating meats offered to idols, that their liberty needed to be tempered by love for the weak saints. Not a knowledge alone. Even though they might be mature in and of themselves to handle it. Lest they think that Paul is laying some um, heavy rule on them, he turns now to use his own life in relationship to the Corinthians to illustrate the principle of self-denial for others out of love as he refuses to exercise his liberty to receive finances from them for the gospel. What an amazing illustration he gives. Let me read here. Am I an apostle? Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat or drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends the flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same thing also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows would plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. If we have some spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor 
have I written these things that it should be done so to me? For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jew I became a Jew, that I might win the Jew, and those who were under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law as without the law, not being without the law, towards God, but under the law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in the race all run? But one receives the price. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the price is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul lays out the giving up of his right to be supported as an apostle in three ways. First, the proclamation, the rights of an apostle, verse 1 through the middle of 12. Secondly, we have the illustration, the rights of an apostle denied. And then thirdly, 19 through 27, the application, the rights of an apostle to serve. Let's begin here. The rights of an apostle. This is the proclamation, verse 1 through 12. Notice in verse 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul declared the genuineness of his apostleship. Don't miss it. Paul asked four rhetorical questions to affirm his apostleship. Rhetorical questions, remember, have an obvious answer. They only have one answer. Am I not an apostle? Yes. They knew this. He was told by Jesus that he was a chosen vessel. He received the gospel directly from Jesus. Acts 9.15, Galatians 1.12. He never declared to be one of the twelve apostles. Some people teach that he was a twelve, taking Judas Iscariot's place. No way. Matthew's got the lot. And if you read four or five chapters forward, it says, and the twelve being present. He's called the apostle of the Gentile. He didn't meet the qualification that is given in Acts 1.21 and 22. One of them was to be with Jesus from the baptism of John. He wasn't there. He did see the Lord resurrected. But Paul was not from the baptism of John. So he didn't meet the qualifications to one of the twelve. In fact, he calls himself the apostle of the Gentiles. And he says this in Romans eleven thirteen, Galatians 2, 8 and many other places. In fact, when he opened this letter, he called himself Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. They knew that. He's reminding them of who he is. Then he says, am I not free? Once again, yes. He was free as the Corinthians to eat meats. Offered idols, no big deal. 
He just finished talking about that. He was free from sin and the power of sin, able to deny himself for the sake of others. Have I not seen the Lord? Yes. He saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, Acts 9. He declared it often in his testimony through the book of Acts. He saw the Lord in the night vision regarding the church of Corinth in Acts 18, 9 through 10. He founded the church, Acts 18. He wrote to them twice already. Paul affirmed the confirmation of his apostleship immediately then after these questions. If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. He might not be able to claim others as part of his ministry and work of ministry, but he certainly could claim the Corinthians. And they knew this. Yet you, you are the work of God through us. He was an apostle, one sent out to preach repentance. That's what happened there at Corinth. Paul already reminded them that he had come not in the excellency of speech or of wisdom, but declaring the testimony of God in 1 Corinthians 2.1. Because they were all proud. They were leaning to the wisdom of, 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 of the age. Notice he told them, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The word there for seal uh, it refers to a wax or a clay emblem, seal that would be stamped as identification that pertaining to an owner, property. Because many couldn't read in that day, but they could look at a seal. You understand? He says, you're our, you're, you're our seal. They were stamped with the evidence of his genuine apostleship in the Lord. They belonged to the Lord, not to Paul. But it came through Paul through the gospel. Then the apostle Paul answered those criticizing the authority of his apostleship. In verse 3, Paul confronted those who questioned his apostleship in a critical manner. He already had those opposing his apostleship at Corinth. But Paul was not intimidated nor concerned about people's opinions about him. Listen to what he said earlier in chapter 4, verse 3. He said there, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human courts. In fact, I don't even judge my own self. In other words, Paul says, you know, I've been judged by better people. <laughs> the, the thing is, when you're up front, everybody gets a shot at you. If you have a thousand people under you listening to you, you got a thousand shots at you. But it's okay, that comes with the territory. So you stay biblical and at least the shots, hopefully they're wrong. That's important. Now notice the word defense. Apologia. It means to give a verbal answer in order to refute an opposition. We get the word apologetics for it. Sometimes we say, I apologize. The literal root is to make a defense. Okay? Not to say I'm sorry. And the word examine means to investigate, inquire, to scrutinize. Both are in the negative, finding fault with his authority as an apostle. Both words are judicial in nature. So this is kind of like a courtroom, and, and they're, 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 they're looking down on him to an extent. He mildly rebukes them here, those questioning his apostleship, but his real focus is on the evidence for his biblical authority to receive wages as an apostle, to illustrate the principle of self-denial so as not to stumble anybody. It is in the second letter that he will defend his apostleship. He's not really dealing with it here. He's focusing on the self-denial. Paul proceeded to ask three more rhetorical questions that were in perfect accord with the rights of an apostle, perhaps using 
their very own words to affirm his right as an apostle. He asked, do we have no right to eat and drink? Yes, we do. The context is in support of ministry. He asked, do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. The context is in ministry. Couldn't one of them bring a wife and, 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 and they would also provide food for her? Yes. The early apostles were married. The half-brothers of Jesus, Jude and James, and Matthew 13, 55 and 56. They weren't cousins, half-brothers. They believed after the resurrection. They were married. Paul most likely was married also because he belonged to the Sanhedrin. You had to be married. So the Bible never teaches that ministers cannot, are not supposed to marry. If you have the gift of celibacy, fine, but there's nothing wrong with marriage. Now notice he asked, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? No. That's the answer. Again, the context is regarding ministry. As you know, Paul's craft was a tent maker. And he provided with his own hands for his necessities as well as others. Acts 18.3. He told that to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20.34. He never took any, he didn't rip anybody off. Paul labored night and day to not be chargeable. First Corinthians 4.12, he told him. He tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.9. 2, in fact, in the second letter to the Thessalonians, in chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, he says, For you yourselves know how you, we ought to, you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anybody's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day to exhaustion. That's the word. That we might not be burdened to any one of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you that if anyone will not work, neither shall we he eat. What an example. Notice in 7, down to the middle of 12 now, the Apostle Paul selected three examples of common life verifying his authority to receive finances due to his apostleship. In verse 7, Paul declared three more rhetorical questions from the everyday life. He asked, whoever goes to war at his own expense? No one. When you go in the Army, the Marines, the Navy, or the Air Force, they supply everything. Now you have to pay a little portion for a uniform, but they supply They don't say, hey, listen, do you, have a, do you have a 22 you can bring? No, they don't send you. But make sure you have new boots when you come. He asks, "Who plants the vineyard and does not eat of its fruit?" No one. The farmer is the first partaker of his fruits. Who tends the flock and does not drink the milk of the flock? No one. This is common sense. Notice in eight through ten, Paul called for the witness of the law now, as to what he was saying. All they had was the Old Testament. They didn't have no New Testament when Paul is writing this letter. Okay? It's just Old Testament. He asked, do I say these things as a mere man? In other words, am I twisting the scriptures for my own profit to justify my own benefit? No. If you examine this chapter, Paul is not making the case for himself. In fact, he's making the case that they should support others who are in ministry. But he doesn't want to partake. What an example. Wow. He asked, 
Or does it not the law say the same also? The law was God's word for the authority of what man can and should do. He stated, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. The emphasis on the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 25.4 Now, the Gentiles would muzzle an ox as it tread the corn went around in circles so it wouldn't eat the grain because it's stepping and dragging the stuff to break the, the husk from the shell. God says, listen, an animal at least has to eat. If he's working, let him eat. It's common sense. You want him to work for you and you're going to starve him. He doesn't work as much, right? But the focus is not on the, on the amount of productivity, but the justice of him eating because he's working. Is the creator more concerned with animals? He asks two questions about the passage of the law and answers them by way of interpretation by the metaphor of agriculture. He says, is it oxen God is concerned about? No. Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes. Yes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. The principle is based upon the law of nature. Simple. The repeated phrase for our sakes demonstrates a provision extended far beyond the ox. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is illuminated to interpret the ox as a type and the preacher as the anti-type, the fulfillment. Short-term, long-term. Sort of like the prophecies, twofold. A kind of allegory that we see in Galatians. He gives the interpretation. It doesn't make the ox principle null and void. The example of the ox extended to the reality of the minister. That's all he's saying. Now notice in verse 11 and 12, Paul makes application to the principle to receiving finances due to his apostasy by two other rhetorical questions by the same metaphor of agriculture. He asks, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? No, is the answer. We the apostles have sown in the errors already preached the gospel. The church is there. Is it a big deal or unnatural to reap receiving provisions? No. The value of the gospel cannot even be compared to the financial compensation. We're looking at totally there. We're not talking about gouging. He's talking about food, clothes. He's talking about just when he's there. He's not talking the modern day technological electronic church. <laughs> All right? He asked, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? So the lessons from the lesser to the greater, from the ox to the preacher, from the others to Paul and those who were sent to the church. Paul returns to the key word, don't miss it, of the argument. Right. Verse 4, 5, 6, here he is. There's key. The Apostle Paul and others with him were not inferior to others, but had the right morsel from the lesser to the greater. Very important. 
I would say that more people are turned off to Christianity because of all the begging and emphasis that goes on in churches about money. It's embarrassing. Sending out letters and begging and pressuring people. That's wrong. Absolutely wrong. The marks of a genuine call to ministry are always the same in the church. The man of God is called and anointed by God. The anointing of God is to teach the word of God. The man of God will be directed and guided to do the will of God. And the provisions of God for the man of God reveal the call of God. The provisions could be a tent ministry like Paul. That isn't an inferior ministry. That You don't say, well, I'm not really in full. No, you are. You're in ministry. God has called you to provide for you in that tent ministry. It's not any less than full time. You understand? This is what God called Paul to do. He's been obedient to it. Listen to 1 Timothy 1, 12-13. And I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was a former uh, blasphemer, persecutor, insolent man, but obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. God called him. He put him in the ministry. The work of God is often tainted with the abusive way men use ministry pressure to manipulate people and to work people through emotional and all kinds of sad stories. There are ministries that exist to feed and care for the people of God, depending solely upon God to minister to the people, not burdening the people. Thank God for those ministries. They're not constantly begging. Listen to Paul, Philippians 4, 11 through 12. Not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. What an incredible, incredible example, Paul. And my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 19. He doesn't promise to make us rich. He promises to provide for the ministry that he's behind. That's important. The proclamation was that Paul had the financial rights of an apostle. Notice secondly. The rights of an apostle denied. This is the illustration. In 12 there, the apostle Paul declared his blamelessness. Paul said immediately, Having said all this, nevertheless, we have not used this right, clearing any false allegation against him. Nevertheless, in sharp contrast to those who have used the right. They had not used this right using the historical errors. Meaning, it's a fact. Now, he's not looking down on those who have exercised. In fact, he is establishing and saying, yes, you should support them. Are we all in agreement here? Okay. He denied he was a hireling. Timothy or Silas. They never came for that reason. The pronoun we. And then Paul revealed his heart of love for the sinners and saints by two things. Their commitment, but endure all things. Wow. They willingly endured to keep by cover secretly financial hardships and sufferings with contentment. In the second letter, he's going to give us all his sufferings. In chapter 4. Amazing. The reasoning, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul and others did not want to cut off any opportunity to proclaim the gospel and give opportunity to all, lest cutting it off 
He didn't want to stumble anybody. It goes along with chapter 8, verse 9, the stumbling of the weak brethren. Same thing. Pastor Xavier Reese closes with the illustration of Paul for a man motivated by love. And there's much more to come next time. But if you've missed any part of this important study or wish to pass it along to a friend, you can request a copy. And it's simply titled, Self-Denial Motivated by Love. It's available on CD for just $4. Once again, the title you want to ask for is Self-Denial Motivated by Love. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Do you want to be a servant of the true King of Kings? Learn how right here on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com